0: Welcome to Parenting in Queens, a safe place where we like to connect with everyday families doing extraordinary things. I am your host, Cecilia Falcon, and I'm so excited to share this episode with you. But before we get started, I would like to thank our reviewer of the week. This one is by Navjo, and the title is A Wealth of Parenting Experiences. She says, Processia CESIA gives parents a community to learn from each other through stories of their lives before and after kids and how we've approached raising our children in Queens. This podcast is a gift. Thank you so much, Nigel. Now we're ready to listen to our podcast episode with Lisa. Please stay tuned. I am very, very happy to share this one with you. Thank you for listening. So in this episode, uh, we have a really special guest, and can you just introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. I am Lisa
1: Graves-Taylor. We are a family who lives in Astoria, Queens, and we have two kids. My husband is Brian. He wasn't able to be here today, unfortunately, but uh, we have two kids. Grayson is 14, and Ella is 11. Um, And I am a childbirth educator and a birth doula, um, but just right now full-time as a a teacher, teaching classes in Astoria in my living room classroom um, about four times a week, five times a week or so. It's very much (laughs) full-time, and I just launched a podcast as well, so that's that keeps us busy and then we're also a city schoolers instead of a lot of people call it homeschooling but we call it city schooling because we take advantage of everything that new york city has to offer we love going all over the city maybe we can talk about that more um and that keeps us busy as well and then my kids are also performers so um that we're, we have a very busy life but we love our life we and we love living in new york city and love living in queens
0: thank you so much for that wonderful introduction um I am interested in everything that you do because I find like I have a little passion for each: birthing and homeschooling. And I, not so much like the whole theater thing with the kids, but I've seen a lot of my parents they do and like how much it is fun, but it's also like the scheduling is so hard. It's fly by the seat of your tips later. Yeah, yeah, it's fly by the seat of your pants (laughs) for sure. Um, Right now you're. My first mom that has like a little bit of older kids. So if you could tell me a little bit of your parenting journey so far, like how has... Like, the developmental stages of your kids change, like, the dynamics of your family as you go. Because it's very different to take a newborn, the toddler. So different. School age. Yes.
1: And for everybody who has little bitty ones, you are in a very intense time, I feel for you. And I kind of live in that space since I teach expectant parents all the time and and try to keep in touch as much as I can with them as they enter their parenthood journey. Um, But yes, it does get easier. I just want to encourage you. Now that our kids are... 11 and 14 in the last couple of years things i feel like it's a new level of coming out of the clouds of and the intensity and like because now our oldest is young enough is is old enough and responsible enough that we can leave them at home sometimes and go out on a date or go run an errand or it's so freeing especially when you know you and i were talking about before we started recording that um so many families don't have local family for like free babysitting and and that's tough because it's so expensive to live here it becomes uh it's really challenging to to just pay for childcare to be able to be free and have those important dates and different things so um it's just it's this season in our lives it's feeling a lot different than it did several years back um and and one reason we've we changed locations within um queens a couple times was because we wanted that support network when our kids were littler you just need that community so much and so that's something that I think is so important especially living in New York and if you don't have family local is to find that community um because there's no way we could have survived or stayed in New York with little kids and when our kids were littler um without those friendships and even now they're always important your community is always important but um Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I don't know, that didn't give you a lot of detail on the, the stages, but, um, but so just first to be it encouraging was, yeah. to other
0: people. So first, from what I got from you is like, when they're very little, it's always good to have that connection with others, even if you have to move to a different part of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and second, that you've, once you found that community and your kids were a little bit older, then you were able to connect more as a couple. Yes, yeah,
1: although here's something that was so important, and I always share this with my classes, with my expectant parent students, Um, it is having a baby, for those of you listening who already have babies, you know this, having a baby puts your relationship to the test, like just about nothing else will, and it's really important, I think we got a couple of golden pieces of advice when we became, we're about to become parents, and one of those was establish a date night quota, and stick with it. Um, and so we, we set a really low bar. We said, we're going to aim for one a month here in the right. early early right. years. Because, you know, finances. realistic. Yeah, too. exactly. And we didn't have free babysitting. Um, so we, we set that quota and we stuck with it. Because we knew that it was really important to still make our relationship a high priority. And it, we had to be really intentional with it in the earlier years of our kids' lives. I mean, you still do later, but it's just easier when you yes. don't have to do so much coordination of childcare. care. Um, and then the second golden tip we got was to, uh, when you have those date times to, I say times because it doesn't have to be date night. It could be date right. lunch, whatever, whatever fits into the schedule, um, to have all baby talk off limits. You can't talk about the kid or kids. That's off limits. You can talk about anything else under the sun. That's great. But um, that's really important. We found that to be really important and valuable because the second, especially in the early years of having little ones, have the second the, the little one enters the, it kind of infiltrates the conversation, it dominates it. And then you've done it's nothing true. to really deepen and strengthen your relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Um, so that was something that was in the early years really important and valuable for us. You do have to talk about those other things the, the children, of course. I'm trying to be on the that's you know, more of front. a daily basis. Yeah, like exactly. you talk about it all the time. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It is a lot, um,
0: yeah. when you have younger ones because they demand so much of your time, attention, and energy like yes. no others. And you're exhausted. And oh, you're exhausted. <laughs> for the first few years. <laughs> so it's good that you when did you come up with like that? time okay was it like a breaking point that you're like okay we can't do this anymore we need to find time for ourselves or was it something that you guys really talked about before getting married I mean before having your baby
1: before having the baby. Okay. I, I don't remember that's who gave good. us that advice but mm-hmm. it was so valuable yeah. and I was so grateful for that. And my husband has always been so amazing with um, his love lang- his main love language is quality time and so oh, he so always has really been intentional with let's make time for each other. That's a high priority because he, he just knows that's healthy and important and communication is so important in a marriage um so yeah we're grateful that that happened beforehand
0: rather than what once you're in crisis mode (laughs) I know like I think that's me a lot because I try to like manage things on my own and then I'm like okay I can do it you know and I think a lot of women are like me Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. just like we wait until the last time to have that conversation you know I'm learning as well so I've learned from a lot of I guess parents that have been through this are like, no, you need to talk things before. Yes. (laughs) Because sometimes your husband doesn't know like what to expect and you don't know, you know, the expectations are not there. They're not talked about. So Mm -hmm. once you like clear that out, it's so much easier. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still difficult, but it's a little bit easier. Right. Yeah. So now that, um, you are, you know, your kid's a little bit older and you mentioned that you Done homeschooling with them or city schooling? <laughs> um, how is it? How did you come about to like to homeschooling? Was it something like they experienced maybe a bad experience at school, or was something that you were at home like taught that way? How did you come to? No,
1: well, um, my I was not homeschooled. My my husband was not homeschooled. We grew up in Texas public schools mostly, mm-hmm. uh, and we had a community with some of our closest friends. We had a little infant play group and it kind of just grew out of that. Several of our best friends just decided we're going we're gonna to be homeschoolers. We're going to homeschool our kids. And, uh, and at first I wasn't sold. And then we went to hear this guy speak uh, his name is John Taylor Gatto G A T T O and he has a he has several different books but the book that really spoke to me a lot was called Dumbing Us Down and he was a veteran New York City public school teacher for many years won many accolades and awards and he in the end came out kind of against the public school system and the way it's set up and and had some really compelling arguments for about the wasted time and um, the, the bells and the like regimented learning that it kind of squelches a love for learning. And those are just a few, couple of examples of the really great arguments he had. And then I heard him speak with, I went with a couple of my friends up to, I think it was in Westchester. And that was what kind of sealed the deal. I went home and I talked to Brian and shared kind of what we had heard. And, and he was immediately on board. He just saw all the benefits and, and he's actually, uh, more hardcore homeschooler than I am even. (laughs) Um, He is just, he loves it. And he actually handles a lot of the academics and like checking their homework and, or their schoolwork or (laughs) however you want to put it. Um, And so, yeah, so it's been a community effort. I don't think that if we didn't have friends who were doing it, I don't know that we ever would have done it. So our, our son did go to like a part-time nursery school in Forest Hills and then a church in the gardens and then went to a part-time pre-K while we were also having this kind of play group, budding homeschool group with our friendships, friends. And and then after the pre-K, we were like, nope, we're going full, full-time um, city schooling, homeschooling. We didn't call it city schooling until fairly recently, but I was like, I like that term. There's such a stigma, I feel like, for a lot of people in a lot of people's minds about like... Lack of socialization and all that with homeschooling and so I like to reframe it.
0: <laughs> I've heard about that book and I need to read it because I've only heard it from other people and like reviews about it. It's but radical. It's, it's pretty really radical, radical, but it's really
1: compelling yeah.
0: when you start thinking about it. It <laughs> opens your eyes to a lot. But I was educated like half of my life in Peru and I feel like the education it it was a little bit I'm not saying better, but it was different from what it is now, like right now. Because I deal mm-hmm. with a lot of our kids that go to school and they barely have recess time. Like I would have recess like two times a day. We would have art. And I don't know how they managed to put in all this curriculum, but we were always hands-on. Like oh, we, we could so go brilliant. to like the science lab whenever we wanted. and great. It was run by nuns. so It was a Catholic school. So I mm-hmm. noticed like a... You know, like I thought it was New York City, so much better. (laughs) Uh, But it's, I mean, locally it is not. So I've been looking into it myself and I didn't think like New York City people would have um, interest in homeschooling because you would think this is like the best education. But it has its drawback. It does, sure. and it really
1: depends. It's so spotty in New York, the The system. There are stellar schools, and there mm. are really lacking schools. And by the way, I just want to mention I have high regard for teachers and, and all the people who, who work in the system. My husband's whole family are all public school teachers, um, so we always hear about <laughs> the joys yeah. and the challenges of that. They're in yeah. Texas, but um, my parents were also educators, and... So, but there's a great homeschool community, huge in New York. I had no idea. So much support, so many thriving groups, so many thriving, like, out of the home classes that different parents will teach for a really, like, affordable price, lots of field trips. So, it's, we're all over the place. Like, tomorrow we'll go into the Broadway Theater District for a science class. And uh, on Wednesdays, we go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art for a class with a college professor and uh, it's just so much fun we live in the greatest city in the world I think mm-hmm. and and there's so many great educational resources and cultural resources and things for organic learning so you can see I'm really excited yeah <laughs> <how it's>
0: <laughs> I mean it's amazing like, at this different world that you just get into it but like you said um you would need to build that community first To have some help because otherwise you'll be like that odd one now like why aren't you sending your kid to school right right you're not a good mom or something like that and I want to just
1: mention real quick there's a great uh website for anyone who just wants to look into homeschooling this website called homeschoolnyc.com a woman by the name of laurie spiegel runs it and it has everything you need it has links to all of the different groups, communities. It has links to, um, like, the regulations and the paperwork you would have to do with this, the DOE to if you wanted to pursue homeschooling. So it's a re- it's my favorite resource um, just because it's kind of a one-stop, find-everything tool.
0: Find-everything. Mm-hmm. And is there... Um, you mentioned, like, your husband was on board. So how was the dynamic there? Like, who was working? Who was staying home with the kids? to do all these things? Will you take turns? Like how was, you know, realistically speaking, how I'm trying to imagine in my mind, like how, if I want to try it out, how would I do it?
1: Great question. Yeah.
0: Um, We've been really
1: fortunate to have kind of staggered work schedules. My husband works at a a financial firm in Manhattan and he works a pretty traditional nine to five-ish job. And and he actually scaled back on his hours recently to help more with the homeschool academics Uh, and to also help me with my business too, because there's a lot of administrative stuff, you know, with website and all that kind of stuff that I really need help with. So we've always been really fortunate in that regard. And since I run my own business, I really make my own hours. I schedule, I do my own schedule. So we've, we've been able to tag team things and it works really well. I do a lot of the, like taking the kids to the places for out of the house, um, school, Classes and activities and field trips. And then my husband kind of heads up the academics that we do at home. Okay. Yeah. So it doesn't work for everybody. Yes. You know, and and different families find different ways to make it work. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's actually a couple of centers in. in Manhattan that offer throughout the week different classes and some people who do work during the day are able to drop their child off and so it is kind of like a little bit of of a school Um, but that's one way that some people are able to right oh yeah the class size is like six kids in each class or Mm -hmm. eight kids in each class and so they got to get a lot of uh, specialized attention more so than in in most of the schools where there's like 35 kids or 30 kids Mm -hmm. in a class
0: Yes, and like you mentioned before, it's like nothing against teachers at all. I think yeah. like they do such an amazing job with you know Absolutely. the space and environment they're given. So right. It's really hard, mm-hmm. um, but this is just another option if anyone wants to try. And the good mm-hmm. thing is that you don't have to be homeschooled all your life. You could just right. Like, we see take it by could, year by year. Yeah. See in how fact, it fits in your family.
1: Yeah. In fact, our son is uh, a ninth grader now, and we he took the Shazat, the high school specialized high school exam. And he um, did. He auditioned for a couple of film production programs, and he got into his top two picks. He got into Stuyvesant, which we were so proud because wow, that's, that's hard, hard, hard to get into. Yeah. We were like, "Yay!" It was just felt, felt very validating, either just about his own abilities or maybe a little bit about like our homeschool journey yes. and everything. Um, and, and then he got into School of Art and Designs. A film production program, and at first we said yes to art and design. He's, he's not really passionate about math and science, so that's why we said no to Stuyvesant, um, but then ultimately he wanted to continue homeschooling, and we wanted to too, and it just fits in better with our family's life. He's a very creative uh, kid, and so he writes novels. He's been writing novels since he was seven, He makes films, he does professional acting as well, he writes music, (laughs) he's just this like creative font, and I don't think any of of that would have been as possible if he had been in a a rigid kind of formal school environment, because there just wouldn't have been enough hours in the day for that. So that's been a huge benefit of homeschooling, is um, just having that, like being able to make very efficient time, use of the time with academics, and then having more free time to pursue the whatever the kid's passion is that's know?
0: true and mm-hmm. i i know that children learn even though like for example your your son is into art but like you can teach language you can teach math yeah. science incorporate it into and i think that's for me, that's the appeal because you know if you have an entryway where they're gonna be so passionate about something and you can just absolutely teach them. yeah. And there's this whole different world in homeschooling that they, um, categories I think you can do traditional homeschooling, you can do unschooling. Right. Yeah. There's different Would approaches. You know, like, what 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 are the differences?
1: Well, uh, unschoolers have the philosophy that just life is your best classroom and your best education. We're, we're pretty eclectic. Okay. I, I, I'm not an unschooler at all. Neither of us is. My husband leans more toward the classical approach, which is very formal. And we actually are part of a group this year called Classical Conversations that does the, this very traditional form of education. And there's a lot of great value to it. I see and I acknowledge that it just isn't my vibe as much personally. Like my personality doesn't fit that. It's not a natural fit for my personality. Um, So a lot of people are more eclectic. Like we might pick and choose from those different approaches. Those are just two examples of kind of two ends of the spectrum. And there's everything in between. And so people can just kind of pick and choose the curriculum that they're using or the classes that they're, you know, seeking out. Yeah. Um, So that's a little bit of
0: Mm -hmm. a little bit of a that's good I think in New York City we also like don't go into like your business in a way like if that's what you want to do that's, that's what you do mm-hmm. and that's fine mm-hmm. I think uh, when I hear, I went, go on social media and like they're the unschoolers and they're like no this is the way and then there's like radical unschooling and this is like they it's not just about learning but in life they just let them do whatever yeah. they want yeah. So, yeah there's pros and cons to it we yeah. have friends who are
1: homeschoolers and it's interesting cuz the mom has an academic background, she's brilliant and and her kid is so thriving and doing amazing and and is such a there's such a compassionate family. They're very social justice minded and always looking out for other people and and I with their family, I see, I'm like, unschooling is awesome, (laughs) like, it's just, that's so great, it works, um, but, but not everybody, it just depends, you know, yeah, I think
0: with anything, like, how you raise your children, or your family, or, how you treat yourself, like there's things that would work for you. Like there's no one right way to do anything. Yeah. yeah. In parenting.
1: (laughs) No. As as long as you're at
0: peace with what you're doing, I think it's fine. Yeah. Um. What do you think has been some of the roadblocks Um. in like, you know that we can talk about the business. How was it like handling work, homeschooling your kids, like being with them all the time, And now, like, trying to pursue more of, like, your passion. How has... What are, like, some of the roadblocks that you've encountered, you know, learned through time?
1: Um, I hit a... I had some health issues a few years ago in about 2015. Shortly after my son had had his Broadway debut and had been doing eight shows a week... And his little sister was quite young then and it ran us ragged. And so uh, a big roadblock was that I wasn't putting self-care as putting enough emphasis on that and making that a priority. And so I started having chronic fatigue. Um, I think it was what's called adrenal fatigue. Conventional medicine doesn't acknowledge that as an actual thing, (laughs) but whatever we want to call it. I was having severe fatigue. And so that was a big roadblock. And it took me two years of seeking all these different things to try to heal from that. Uh, And and finally have recuperated and bounced back. And now I've been on a great trajectory in, in fitness and just feeling better and everything. But that, I think just overextending myself and not knowing when to say no between all of the commitments that our family had, it just really did a t- took its toll on my body. And so that's something I, I think is so important. And I think it's that it's out there in, with social media and everything these days of like self-care is important. But especially as people become parents, there's this propensity between the exhaustion of new parenthood and the first few years of being parents alone even without homeschooling and without like your kids being performers and running your own business and all of that there's this propensity for like to increase your caffeine and just like try to run on empty you know yes. and I think that really can take its toll on our health and I'm hearing more and more people struggling with that whole fatigue thing uh, a lot more in hormonal imbalances as a result of that so that's been a, a big part of my journey and I'm so grateful to be a, I think I'm on the other side of it. I still have to be very careful with my self-care and like taking a nap often in the afternoon around 4 p.m. and not having too much coffee and a whole bunch of other things. But that's probably the biggest, the first thing that came to my mind when you brought up the word roadblock.
0: Yes, I know like I've looked up adrenal fatigue many times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why like doctors wouldn't acknowledge that so much, but it is really like the lack of sleep, like physically, like your body's just telling you we need to rest, you know, and yeah. then we wait until then. Um, do, did you go to like, a, like alternative medicines for it? What was, oh, I like, did so many things.
1: <laughs> I cut out coffee. I implemented herbs, ashwagandha being the primary one, which is an adaptogen. It like balances you out and it is, was amazing. Those two things alone were huge game changers. I had a lot of metal fillings, amalgams, and uh, I had seven of them in my mouth. Turns out, so I had those removed by a biological dentist, which is like an alternative dentist. Okay. And they do it in a safer way to where like they seal your oxygen source. So you're not inhaling the mercury as they're taking it out uh-huh. of your body. Okay. Turns out that as they removed those, there was a crack. They discovered there was a crack in one of them, which means more mercury was leaking into my system. Oh, And so I went through, after the, having those removed, it's important to do like a heavy heavy metal detox. Sounds like hard rock, heavy metal, (laughs) but trying to detox your body of those metals. And so I went to acupuncture that helped a lot. Um, And so on the other side of having those removed, the heavy metal detox along with the other, like learning to sleep more and all those other a couple of other changes I mentioned, I was like a new person. It, it, you know it took a couple of years of just exp- trying to explore try this and try that and try, I tried like a sauna to like sweat out toxins and tried so many things that's just kind of a short list of some of the things that I really think helped the most but yeah it's it was quite a journey <laughs> sorry
0: I'm sure because and it takes I don't know because I think again like as women like we tend to do too much yes, do. so then it it's really hard to swift that mentality first like i need to take care of myself mm-hmm. especially because we come from our mothers and grandmothers that they had it so much worse than us haven't had all the opportunities and you know mm-hmm. we do live like very comfortable lives now yes we do then then so you're like oh they did it and they They, you know, power through it. Like, why would I be complaining if, Mm -hmm. you know, my life is so good now? So, Mm -hmm. but we are dealing with like different issues, Mm -hmm. um, and they're so important to take care of. And um, what was one of the things that? Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, the, you know, self care taught you. Like, what are I know like you focus on your health for like those two years, Mm -hmm. but then how you incorporated little things in there in your daily, you know practice of self-care because I think that's the most important thing like try to take out like at least like you mentioned a nap in the afternoon like at least Mm -hmm. one thing a day to Mm -hmm. kind of recharge I still do quite a bit of supplements I do a um an
1: stress I forget what it's called stress care by Himalayan Naturals it has ashwagandha and some other adaptogen herbs in it um really focusing on water intake I have these well drops that I make uh, that have a whole bunch of good stuff in it, elderberries to boost the immune system, nettles, natural and antihistamine and has iron in it. Nettles are so nourishing in pregnancy and after pregnancy as well, um, and garlic and ginger, and, and then there's honey just to, as a preservative uh, I'm probably forgetting something. Cinnamon. It also has. So I have a shot glass of that, just mixed into with some apple cider vinegar and lemon juice and seltzer. I like it with seltzer or water. Okay. And so that I swear has has so helped me not have like as many seasonal colds or get sick as much. That's one daily thing I do, um, prayer. I'm, I'm a Christian, and uh, we're people of, a family of faith, and so that's an important thing. I did have a meditation app on my phone, um, Headspace.
0: Okay. I you love it, something. but I,
1: I find that I have to have more of an active, physically active form of meditation, than just sitting and listening to someone's voice or I, cause I just fall asleep. Although Mr. that's actually good. There's a huge good. value in sleep, <laughs> but I'm like, I can fall asleep without that. <laughs> so anyway, and then I, um, now that I recovered enough, I work out every day for half an hour, not every day, but five to six times a week with, um, this online program called daily burn. I love it. I okay. have my, my, it films here in, so in Soho in Manhattan And my daughter and I just recently got to go and be on it. And it was really fun. So So I've really been on... The fatigue caused me to just get less and less healthy because I was so tired. I couldn't work out. Anytime I tried to work out, I would be even more exhausted. So now I'm better enough that now I can do that regularly. Like regular working out, I've lost like 32 pounds. I feel so much stronger and healthier, feel better. Just like I feel like the working out really, really helps my just outlook on everything, Mm -hmm. you know, because there was a time when I had that fatigue when I thought I was going into a deep depression and I, I was like, that runs in my maternal lineage. My maternal grandmother struggled with lifelong clinical depression and I never have, um, thankfully, but, but whatever was going on hormonally in that time with that adrenal fatigue, I almost... went into into that and so um, I'm so grateful to be in a better place now so yeah those are a few of my daily
0: rituals so you feel like now that since you're in a better place you're taking on like these new projects yeah (laughs) like you feel more you know creative and energetic to do all these other things that you're passionate about so how did you um become a, what is it? A birthing teacher? How were you? Child call birth educator. Childbirth educator. educator. Uh-huh. That sounds yeah. yeah. <laughs> So how was your journey leading up to it? Like, was it an idea that you talked to your husband or people around you? Like, oh, you know, you'll be so good for this. Yeah. What was your journey to start that?
1: On the other side of giving birth twice, I became super passionate about anything birth. I was like, I just want to read everything and like learn as much as I can And so fairly soon, I think within the first year of my my second born's life, my daughter, uh, I was like, maybe this is my new career because I've never been passionate about something like this. And so in those pregnancies, especially my first pregnancy, had my eyes opened to what a healthy natural physiological process birth is and because our the narrative we're told in our country is in our culture is not that it you know it's all about like birth is scary birth is painful you know we're we're seen as a sick patient and like a, 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 a an emergency waiting to happen but i realized in taking birth classes with my husband in our first pregnancy no it's not and and that's we're doing ourselves such a disservice to frame it that way you know and and so a lot of uh a lot of like having a healthy birth is mindset and get changing how you perceive all of that. I think at least that was a game changer for me. So then, and then, also having my eyes opened to the medical legal challenges we have in our current US healthcare, maternal healthcare system, and how important it is for people to learn what their rights are, learn how to advocate for themselves. And, and so I was like, I just want to be part of that change. I want to see people on the other side of birth feeling more empowered, feeling more confident, happier, not dealing with trauma or, or hard, you know, challenging feelings or dealing with that less as much as we can. And so I, uh, yeah, I was like, I, I want to seek out certification as a doula and a childbirth educator at the same time because I looked at the requirements and there was a lot of overlap so I was like I think it makes sense it's synergistic to just like efficient to seek both of those out at the same time yeah so I, I started working on my DONA International Doula Certification DONA stands for Doulas of North America and then was also seeking out a certification as a teacher with Childbirth Education Association of Metropolitan New York it's a mouthful I served on their board of directors for five years. Um, in September of 2017, they awarded me the Childbirth Educator of the Year Award, which was such an yeah. honor. It was so nice. And that's a really, really thorough program. Uh, it took me almost three years to, to complete, but I just really wanted to be as equipped for my, to, to help my students as optimally as I could. And also that local program allowed me to connect with other people, other professionals in the field so that I could really have a good resource list to refer my clients to. Um, and then just a three years ago or so, I sat for the Lamaz exam because I found that the more people came to me, the, the more I heard, I'm looking for a Lamaz class. And Lamaze isn't even really a method anymore. It has really the same general philosophies that CEA, that this local organization has. But I just figured I should just have that Lamaze credential to my name so that when people come, I can say, yes, I'm a Lamaze certified educator. (laughs) Since that's kind of the household word for birth class for a lot of people. Um, So, yeah, so I've been doing birth work for about 10 years now love it so much and I'm just grateful to have found such a passion where I just look forward to work. It doesn't feel like work when you really, really love it. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it does. Yeah, when you're tired of it. Right. Right. But, right, right. Like but I mean, it's time. invigorating. Yeah. 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 And I love, similar to the work you do, you get to meet a lot of people. And that's one of my favorite things is getting to meet people mostly in Queens, but I have, now I'm starting to have people come from Brooklyn and Bronx and Manhattan and New Jersey sometimes and Long Island. And and it's just really fun to get to meet people of all walks of life, from every cultural background, because we live in such a diverse yeah. borough here in Queens. And and, and also, that it's I find it fascinating to learn about the careers. So many different careers in New York City. How people um, meet and yeah, decide. To have absolutely, kids.
0: It's yeah, amazing. yeah, it's
1: fun. So yeah, I've been I, I attended some births in the early years of uh, as a doula, as a birth doula, labor support. Um, but I've been taking a break from that because on-call work is challenging and with our lives and kind of flying by the seat of our pants on-call kind of stuff with auditions and the the kids acting stuff is I found it's not very compatible so I'm taking an indefinite break from the doula work but just teaching lots and starting the podcast as well which I'm loving it's fun to interview
0: my students and hear their birth stories and It's like kind of the graduation, like once they take the class and they're like, okay, tell me how it went. Yeah, yeah. If they want, you know, I never pressure anybody, and
1: but especially, my hope is to really share overall positive birth stories because I feel like I want to give more resources to my students. And I feel like when you're pregnant, it's more helpful to hear the positive birth stories. And it doesn't have to be uncomplicated. Um, Many of the interviews I've done are fairly complicated, very unexpected things happen. But it overall was a really positive uh, experience for them, not a traumatic one. And I think that traumatic birth stories should be heard. Like there's a place for people to process those. But I think for pregnant people, that's not the best time to hear the scary stories because that's just gonna foster fear, you know.
0: So. It's very true. So what I like about the podcast is that, as you mentioned, that you share stories like of so many different births um, because people choose different ways to give birth. Yeah, and I fully hospital, support those choices. Yeah, Out of it, um, out of the hospital or, you know, their dynamics or their culture background has different traditions and things like that. So it's really nice to hear like all these different stories that are positive, even if they're complicated, you know? Sure. So Mm -hmm. when they come to you with the class, what has been the most like challenging part of, you know, being a child birth educator?
1: Hmm, that's such a good question. And I don't know if I've thought about that much. Uh, I do my best to try to, I have a very thorough intake form that people fill out when they sign up for class. So I do my best to try to, as much as I can, teach to their specific needs and their specific situations. So sometimes that can be challenging depending on the each group, each cohort, like How diverse are their needs? Usually there's a pretty common through line of like, I'm just looking to build confidence and, you know, reduce fear and help my partner get prepared for supporting me through this. But occasionally, like right now, I have a class that a group that just started on Sunday and I have... One couple in the class who is having twins. So oh, wow. that can be a little challenging. Like just yesterday, I was, as I was teaching, I was thinking, oh, I don't want her to feel left out. I have to want to include her, their situation. But I often say baby. And so then it's like, oh, baby or babies. Or, you know? So um, that can be a little challenging to just try to be sure that each person's needs are being met. Um, but at some point, you just have to trust that and maybe seek them out in, in the breaks and say, hey, can I can I support you better? What, what resources can I give you? In fact, um, there's a great group called the Astoria Doula Collective okay. in my neighborhood. And so a friend of mine, a doula a friend of mine runs it. And she has a whole bunch of doulas where people call and seek out doulas. And they were clearing out their library. And so she gave me a bunch of books on twins. And so I was wow. able to give that... What, whichever books they wanted uh, yesterday in class to them. So that was one way I was grateful that I was able to try to cater to their needs a little more specifically by giving them those resources. Um, but yeah, that's. I think that was the most recent challenge yeah, that cause pops into so, my head. you know
0: sometimes when you're so passionate about doing the job the work that you do is like you want to please everything everyone and make sure like everything's perfect uh-huh. but you can't so that part of letting go I think would be the challenge mm-hmm. um So they need to be on your podcast once they give birth. Yeah, and they were sharing twins is so common. runs in their family. Like her grandmother had
1: two sets of twins and five other children. She had nine children total. Did I do the math right? Yes. And then her husband also has twins in his family. So it was kind of almost inevitable. I was like, oh, so you weren't surprised? I see. I didn't because I didn't get all that information in her intake.
0: That's so fun. So once you um, you started, you know, running your childbirth education class for ten years, what um, have you seen any changes or so? If, is there more demand now for like childbirth education that wasn't there before? That's always hard to tell
1: because yes, my like my classes are more like there are more people in them than ever but I, I don't know i think that's more just a product of building the business over time building word of mouth now i've had more students so there's more students referring people to classes uh so yeah that's a little hard to say because like if you just went on the pure numbers it would seem oh yeah there's more demand but i think it's just people are finding me in in you know yeah so i don't no, it's hard. Always hard to pinpoint trends. I always try to look at like the year, year to year and compare different things and see are there certain times of the year that there's like a surge, and some people notice that, and I don't. When I compare my numbers in terms of like is there a certain season, it seems to change from year to year. A lot of people say that conception happens a lot of times in the winter, in the colder months, and so there's a surge right around this time, okay. right around now, and I actually am seeing an uptick in yes. lots of registrations right now, um, so maybe there is something to that that makes sense to some some extent, being cooped up in the house in the winter, <laughs> um, but
0: yeah, yeah, I don't know in terms of other trends, but but that's good, I mean, I, I see that you're finding your passion now, why do the Point did the podcast this time, like what would be your goal? Well, again, I really want to see more people have better
1: births. I know not everybody can afford a birth class, uh, or even those who are coming to my classes. I would love. I always encourage them listen or listen to or read positive birth stories. And I have a couple of resources, like a book, uh, Ina May's Guide to Childbirth," and then my blog has some written birth stories that I've sh- that my students have been willing to share over the years. Um, and then there's a great podcast called The Birth Hour that's been around for several years that shares lots of birth stories. But I wanted to share local birth stories. So that... Because the New York City in, in and of itself has so many hospitals. Not enough birthing centers. Um, but there is... There and is one. just one. Well, there's two. But there's only one I can really recommend at this point. Right. Um, and there's so many options. It can be overwhelming when people get pregnant. And so I just really wanted to offer... Some taste of, like, specifically, what is it like to give birth in these different uh, hospitals, and then recommend practitioners, recommend OBs or midwives who my students have loved, and hear just really all those details for people who would benefit from that. And then, from a business perspective, I, you know, it's obviously a marketing tool for my classes. Um, And then, I also, about a year ago, developed an online version of my in person class for folks who um, maybe they're on bed rest or maybe their first language isn't English and they want they need to be able to pause the class for their partner to like translate for them. That was one of my students told oh, me that benefit. Even. I was like, I didn't even think about that. But that's such, such a great um, use of, of the online course. Um, so yeah, just wanting to wanting to get that online course available to more people, just on people's radars. And so I feel like maybe the podcast could help do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's people in the country who don't even have childbirth available where they live at all. Uh, So I think the online course could be great for that purpose as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of, you know, ins and outs of your life and just being, um, making the time to be here. I know it's like super crazy, everything that you do. (laughs) I mean, it's a lot, but it's so important, I I believe, because birth is such a it, like you said, it's such a turning point in your life. Like, you're not gonna be the same person anymore. You're gonna be better, but then you need all this community and these tools and this knowledge that mm-hmm. you didn't get before. You know, it's yeah. part of growing up, yeah. I guess. <laughs> um, are there any other advice that you would like to leave us with?
1: Hmm. I said it before, but I just wanna say it again uh, for those of you entering parenthood or early in your parenthood you do you don't take the judgment there's in the age of social media there's way too much judgment out there and so do whatever works for your family and and your little ones and i think that's the best route to go
0: thank you so much for your time absolutely thanks so much Thank you, Lisa, for all of your wisdom. And if you're pregnant, be sure to check her website at BirthMattersNYC.com for her childbirth classes. Lisa also has a podcast at Birth Matters where she shares different birth stories. I will link her social media accounts in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Parenting in Queens podcast. If you enjoyed the show, I would appreciate if you subscribe, rate and review the podcast. I'll be shouting out our reviews and would love to spotlight you.